This week on FX Guide TV. The Foundry's John Waddleton takes us on a tour of the new features in Nuke 6.3. This and more coming up next. Hello, I'm Angie Dale and welcome to the show. In July, the Foundry released version 6.3 of their flagship product, Nuke. Now, while it was listed as a dot release, the new offering has a lot of new features and improvements in old tools. Product manager John Wadleton walks us through what's new in the release. I'm going to give you a quick overview of the new features available in Nuke and Nuke X 6.3. And I've got to say, we're really excited about this release. It's probably the biggest release we've ever done, both in terms of new features and also updates to existing tools. So I've kind of divided the features into two panels here. So the stuff on this side over here, I'm unfortunately not going to have time to really demo to you, but I'm going to talk about it. And the stuff on the left-hand side here, I'm going to give you a really brief demo of those features. Now, I'm just going to say that everything is going to be really brief in this uh, interview that we've got here today because I haven't got a huge amount of time. But on the website, there are a lot of tutorial videos available for almost every feature. Um, so after this video, please check out the Foundry website and have a look at all those videos to get a more in-depth overview. First thing we've got on that list on, on this right-hand side is a displacement shader. So a lot of times um, people do displacements in Nuke with, uh, by using a displaced geo node. Um, that actually generates, uh, well, to get good detail, you need to generate a lot of geometry and subdivide cards quite highly and so on, which can slow things down. So what this does, the displacement shader, is, is does that at render time. So at render time, it highly subdivides uh, the geometry, so you can get really fine detail without having to have a lot of heavy geometry going through Nuke's uh, 3D system. Uh, the next one, uh, a lot of people have been asking for this for a long time, which is projection occlusion culling, uh, which basically means at the moment when you have a project 3D in Nuke, it goes through the first surface and then through every other surface. Um, so the projection occlusion culling just stops that. It's basically like self-shadowing, uh, so it won't go through every single surface. Uh, another one we have is an audio scratch track. So this allows you to load like a, a WAV uh, file or an AIWF file um, into Nuke and be able to see that in the curve editor. So you can see the waveform in there. You can also convert that curve, convert the waveform curve into uh, an animation curve um, and you can sample it at a different time. So you can use that to drive animations uh, that you've got going. Um, you can also use it as reference to see in the peaks, you know, where, where you want your effects to go. Uh, next one down there is speed. So we've, we've done quite a bit on the caching. Uh, Nuke does a lot of in-memory caches when you're on one frame. So it has lots of in-memory caches, but typically when you move to another frame, it throws all those away. So what we've done now is we've uh, added the ability to, to keep those caches around. So it means when you move in between different frames, uh, a lot of stuff will still be in memory, whereas before it would have been thrown away. Um, another side to the speed is this localized reads, which is um, allowing you to make a copy of all your network resources and put them on your local machine. So you can select to localize all your reads and then a copy will go on your local machine and then Nuke will use that in preference to the network one. And the settings where it decides on whether it should go off to the network and get a fresh copy rather than the local one. And a couple of things for the developers. Um, we've moved from the closed source uh, QT to QT LGPL 4.6. So this is going to allow you to do um, open, uh, well, plug in PyQt, if you like, into, into Nuke and extend with Python um, using Qt. 
Or if you're a C++ developer, it allows you to do custom knobs uh, in Qt, so have your own crazy widgets in there, um, do whatever you like. Um, and the last thing there for the developers as well, well as a developer's guide. So we've done a lot of work on writing a developer's guide for um, both the 2D, 3D, and Python. We've got Frank Ruter on board as well. He's done a lot of the Python um, guide side, and our own team have done a lot on the 2D, 3D. A lot of people have been um, asking for that, so it's really in-depth kind of guide for, for you guys to uh, be able to write your own things much easily, more easily. Okay, so what I'm going to do is um, give you a quick overview of the particle system first of all. Um, and I'm just going to show you how we made this uh, little cheesy particle effect here. So I've already got it set up here, but what I'm going to do is going to create this from scratch. So if I just go to the particles menu, you can see there's uh, lots and lots of nodes that we've got here for doing particles. So uh, the particle system in 6.3 is not just one node doing all the particles, it's a proper nodal based system. So each one of those nodes affects the particles as they go down the stream. So um, in this effect here, the first thing I need is um, a particle emitter node, which is where the, the particles are going to emit from. So I'm just going to create one here from my particles menu, particle emitter. And then you can see there's a few pipes there um, coming out of that node. So what I'm going to hook up is this particle node. And I'm going to hook it up to my uh, particles, wherever they are, my particle effect over here, which is kind of this, uh, this uh, global thing that I've just come up with. Uh, so now if I look at the output of the emitter node, you can see straight away that a bunch of particles are, are streaming out of that, um, out of a central point. So if I go up to the emitter here, you can see there's lots of options here for kind of modulating the, uh, the particles. So I can change the size, I can make them change over time randomly, I can kind of use an input channel if I want to modulate the, uh, some of these settings. So what I'm going to do here is I'm going to create, rather than emitting from just a single point, I'm going to create a bit of uh, geometry to emit from. So I'm going to create a card and hook that up. And you can see immediately that the, the particles start streaming off from that card rather than um, that central point. So I'm just going to change this card, have it emit upwards. Um, I'm going to do a few other things to this. I'm going to um, say pull the velocity down. You can see they're all frozen on the card. I'm going to add a particle gravity node just to show you how that works. And I'm going to make it emit upwards rather than downwards. Scale the card down so they emit from a central point. And one other thing I'm going to show you here is just a particle curve node we have, which allows you to change the um, change some of the properties of the particles over time by using a curve that you can just plot out. So for instance here, I've got the particles are all the same size at the moment. If I go into the size here, I can just really quickly just plot out a curve and you can see that changing in real time uh, to change the size of the particles over time. So now they're getting bigger and smaller as we go along. The next bit I did here is I, I set up a, a point for it to rotate around so, and then I connect that to the emitter to have the particles emit in a circle like you can see coming there. Then the particle gravity and then the particle curve which I just showed you before to get that kind of spinning effect. So the next thing I need to do to get this integrated into uh, the rest of the scene is just add um, my element here into, uh, into the 3D view. 
So what I want to do for this is I want to set up a card and I want to have the card linked to the camera so that the image size is exactly the same in 3D compared to in the 2D. So typically um, the workflow for this is you need to create like four nodes. Usually it's a camera, a card, expression link the camera to the card, create a scene, create a scanline render. Um, so this is quite a common task, right? So one of the things that we've done is made it really easy to, to set up a, you know, uh, groups of nodes that you um, use commonly together. So I'll just show you how that works. So these are the four nodes that I've got uh, in the DAG that I, I commonly, uh, commonly use. What I can do is I can go to um, this menu here called Toolsets, and I've already done it for these three nodes. And you can see on that menu that I've got a bunch of um, nodes already down there. So if I go Card 3D, you can see it immediately creates all four of those nodes already set up. So it just makes it really quick to be able to lay down nodes that you, you know, use commonly. So it's really easy to, um, to set this up as well. Just say this, uh, just say this glow effect I really liked. All I have to do is circle them all or select them all, go to the toolset menu and go create and give it a name. I'll call it um, glow FX PhD or something. PhD, press enter. And now if I go to the toolset menu, you can see that Glow FX PhD is in there, or even if I type in the name, it appears on that menu as well. So you get those coming down really quickly. So this is all this is all built on the Nuke path as well. So you, you can have a tool set that's um, on your local machine and it'll get saved in your .nuke directory, or you can uh, put it on the facility uh, directory and it will pick up all of those as well. Um, so now that I've got that element in the uh, in a card in the 3D space, it's just easy enough just to hook up the particle system back into the uh, into the 3D system and have that sort of thing integrated. So that was a very brief overview of the particle system. We're also going to ship with a bunch of presets as well. I haven't got very much time to go over them here, but here's a quick kind of panel of the various different presets that we've got. We've got some snow and fog and sort of a streaky effect going on there and some volumetric lights and so on. These will ship with the release so you can play around with them. Just to show you a few other things that, again, I won't have time to go into big detail, but we've completely redone our denoise algorithm. Um, been about one year in the making, this new version, and it's got really good feedback so far, a new wavelet-based denoise. So hopefully you can see on this plate that um, it's retaining a lot of detail here in the hair area that um, the previous one wouldn't have done. So that's quickly the denoise. Um, we also have an audio scratch track, so you can load in an audio waveform and convert it to an animation curve and then use that to drive animations. We've completely redone the spline and the grid warper, so just show you those quickly. Um, basically, this guy didn't used to look like that, really happy. He's actually quite sad, but we've warped him to be, to be happy. So a few things to note about this that are really cool. Um, compared to the old version, it's just a lot easier to use. I can easily draw out a grid that I want to warp. I can then easily dial up and dial down the divisions. I can warp. Let's get him kind of snarling a bit. I can easily add more detail when I need to. For instance, just across here, perhaps I need more detail under the under the eye here to make his eye even baggier than it is already. I can easily kind of add some more detail lines there to be able to do that properly. Every point is trackable. You have a transport that's also trackable, source and destination grids. 
and so on and so forth. So it's a dramatic improvement on the old one. The same with the spline warper. Um, we've completely redesigned that as well. So again, in this case, I've made him slightly snarly in this case, but in reality, he's not like that. So we've got lots of options here. We've got like multiple boundary zones, uh, multiple shapes, an actual list of all the shapes. We've got pin warping as well. So really, really great update to those tools. Okay, now I'm going to take you through the planar tracker feature new to Nuke X 6.3. So the planar tracker is really great at tracking anything on a planar surface. That is something like the side of the building, as in this case, or perhaps the side of a car or a number plate or something like that. So in this case, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a set extension on the top of this building. Um, I've got one good frame for that, which is frame 247 for my set extension. And then I'm also going to insert a logo on top of that as well. So the first thing we're going to do is start tracking this building from that frame 247. So what I need to do is create a planar tracker and then just roughly tell the planar tracker where the surface is to track. So you don't have to be super accurate with this. Just roughly tell the planar tracker where to look for features. And then on my planar tracker toolbar up here, I can now start tracking and I'm going to press the track forward button to track to the end. So I'm just going to do a few frames at this stage, the first 10, and you can see there that, that roto shape is now locked onto the building. So now I'm going to show you how easy it is to now complete this set extension. I'm going to go to the output options in the planar tracker, create a corner pin node. Then I'm going to hook that up to our set extension. I've just a little bit of prep work on this to, to knock a hole there and do a little bit of a grade. Touch my corner pin and then finally merge that over the top of my original. So now we have that part of the shot completed and now it's really simple for me to just track backwards from where I started to complete the rest of the shot. So just while that's tracking you'll notice that the building actually goes out of frame at this point and if you were using say a 2D tracker to solve this problem that might be uh, quite a bit of messing around with offsets and so on but with a planar track you can see that it's done a really good job there and then it's locked into place for the entire shot. And that was really easy to get that shot completed. So that's interesting for the set extension. What about if I wanted to do a logo insert on this? Well, that's really easy as well. We've got some options here on the toolbar to decide on where the insert will go for the logo. So this is, say, my insert point at the moment. So I can really easily adjust this just to change the area that I want to insert. So let's put this logo, say, into the middle of the building. Also got this nice grid here as well to help you line up your planar surface. So let's do it roughly something like that. And now again it's really easy now just to create a corner pin to insert our logo. So I'm just going to select my new logo there, go to corner pin absolute this time because I want to squeeze it into that box. That again creates a new corner pin, squeezes our logo which I can then merge over the top of our background. And now if I just close all these bins to get rid of the overlays, that shot is complete. So I've done the set extension and the logo insert in about two minutes, which is by far the fastest way you could have completed this shot. So I'm just going to show you one other thing which is really cool, which will really save a lot of time too, is that just say we needed to do some extra rotor work on this. Say we needed to isolate this window and maybe change the color of it or do something else to it. Because 
the planar surface or the planar transform ends up going into a layer on the rotopaint, anything that we draw into that layer will automatically be affected by the planar track. So for instance, just say I isolated this window here by drawing a roto shape. Now again, because that's inside our planar track layer, that roto shape is automatically along for the ride. Another thing which I don't have time to fully show you is um, the planar tracker deals really well with tracking multiple shapes as well and occlusions and so on are dealt with really easily. So you can see here just in this example that we've tracked uh, multiple planar shapes um, and that can all be done within the same node. So that's about it for the planar tracker. Just should make uh, these kind of jobs a lot quicker and easier to do. So the final thing I'm going to show you is um, our uh, deep compositing tools that we have uh, in this version. So for those of you who don't know what deep compositing is, I'm going to try and explain it as we go along as well and why it's good and why uh, it will be useful to you guys. Uh, so the first thing I've got here is a kind of scene that I've contrived in, in Nuke and I've got a bunch of lights in there, um, some balls and some buildings and, and a ground plane and, and so on. Um, I've rendered out separate passes out of here, and so one beauty pass with everything in it, one with just the ground, one with just the buildings, one with just the balls. Yeah. And um, if we just look at the final uh, beauty render of this, um, you can see we've got the balls, some of them in front of the building, some of them behind, and there's motion blur on the balls uh, as well. So, you know, if if you could do everything in render in one go and everything was composited together in render, then job done, it will be all over. But in reality, of course, you want to try and, you know, you might need to color correct the elements separately or do things in separate layers. So, uh, you know, quite often you, you need to render them all in separate passes or separate as separate elements. So what normally happens is uh, because there's some occlusions going on, uh, out of 3D, you normally have to render holes where things are occluded. So they're called holdouts. So in this example, what you would need to do is um, when I look at the buildings here, I've got holes for the balls where the balls are going to be composited uh, on top. And if I look at the balls, I've got holes for the buildings where the buildings need to go on top. So when I do a simple add to merge those two together, you get the final result um, looking correct. So the issue being here is that um, you imagine if this this bunch of buildings was uh, the city of New York, it takes six hours per frame to render, um, but the director is really quite uh, finically about, uh, you know, not happy with that ball position. They're like, I want to move the balls. I'm like, oh, it's not quite right, move them again. You know, so every time you need to re-render the balls, you need to re-render the buildings as well with the holes somewhere else, right? So that's six hours per frame. So what we want to do is get around, uh, we want to solve that in, in compositing rather than having to render out with the holdouts, we want to solve it in composite. So one way that you could possibly do this um, is with what's called a depth, um, a depth pass, pass. So I've got an example of this down here. So if I look at my buildings and I look at the, the depth here, I'll just crank that up a bit so you can see the depth. So we've got um, basically a depth per pixel so we can tell how far things are away are away. So we've got the depth pass for the buildings and for the balls and then we can merge those two together and we now know what's in front of the other so we can do the occlusions on the fly and then we get a result um, that looks, looks like that. So 
if I just look at that result, initially you're like, that's completely plausible. I can get away with that, it looks good. But the trouble comes when you have anything that's transparent. So if I look at the edges here, can you see here, everything has gone really crunchy. So if I compare that against the, the beauty render, you can see how there's a lot of artifacts going on on the edges. Also going on over here, lots of edge artifacts going on. So basically this is always gonna happen when there's transparent areas. And the reason being is that the depth is only one sample of depth. So you have the very first sample, but because it's transparent, there's actually other data behind that can't be expressed with that one depth pass. So the deep data allows us to have, rather than one sample of depth per pixel, allows us to have many. So basically anything that is transparent, we have multiple samples, means we can completely solve this, um, this issue. So let me show you the deep comp uh, version of this. So what we have is our, is our buildings as before, uh, without any holdouts in them. And then what I have here is a, a render, coming out of RenderMan, this is a DTAX file, um, and this is a flattened version of that. But if I inspect this with our deep sample node, uh, which gives us a kind of probe onto the deep data, you can see that rather than being one sample of depth, there's multiple samples of depth. So basically, you have lots of samples until you hit the first opaque surface, and then we don't care about what's, what's behind there. So in, in this version, in the, we, will, it's, we have support for uh, RenderMan's uh, DTEX file, um, and we have the, the source code to that shipped inside the uh, NDK as well, so if you need to change your thing. Um, but we're also 100% behind the new EXR 2.0 uh, deep data format. And uh, we hope to have uh, you know beta of the plugin that will work with Nuke 6.3 as soon as uh, the, the EXR 2.0 goes to beta as well. So you'll be able to use that, that format. So um, let's just see the result of this. So now that we've got that, those multiple samples per um, pixel. I can now do a deep merge, which is similar to the, uh, the Z merge, except with, um, with the deep data. And if we look at the result of that, you can see now that uh, we have everything composited together without any edge artifacts, which is the name of the game. So I compare that against the original, it now looks exactly the same. So now what you've got is you can render this stuff without having to render the holdouts. If the director says I've got a new ball position, you don't need to render all the buildings because it will work correctly without, um, with all the edges. Stuff with motion blur as well where there's a lot of transparency, it has the same problem obviously. Another nice thing we can do is we can do volumetric effects too. Um, so I won't show you exactly how this is made, but this is a bunch of, uh, bunch of fog that we've generated in Nuke. Um, so our deep data is not just um, it's not just one sample per pixel, it's, it can be volume, so you can have a front and a back. So this is a bit of fog here. Then I'm generating a holdout on the fly with the buildings through the fog. So you can see how, here now that the buildings at the front are completely in front and it's starting to get more occluded as you go further back. And then I can just merge those in. You can see it being merged in. And then I can you know, quickly move the fog backwards and forwards if I like. So yeah, that's about it. Um, it's going to be a really good release. Really excited about it. And I uh, hope you guys will be too. <laughs> Thanks. And now, just a word about our next few shows. 
Coming up, we are travelling to Vancouver in Canada to cover all of the action at this year's mega cool geek fest, SIGGRAPH 2011. So please watch out for those. Now we'd love to hear your thoughts about the show, so please email us at tv at fxguide.com. And you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash fxguidenews. Until next time, see ya. For more industry news, in-depth features, podcasts and forums, check out fxguide.com. And for visual effects training, check out fxphd.com.